This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan, the Jedi Master, Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you? It's good to be here. Screw you, Ryan and JJ. Whoa! I'm just gonna get it off my chest. Yeah, get it out. Of, get it out of you. Now, well, I, out. I heard. I heard rumors from when we were recording this that Ryan might be doing that trilogy, the new trilogy. After all, oh, he's like back another, in. Is that right? That's how I understand it. Oh, yeah, I don't like me no likey. No, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of that no either. Like but we don't have to. We no. don't have to be mean today. Let's we, not be negative. We, well, it's your fault. We can be a little. It is. I I do bring that <laughs> negative energy sometimes. But uh, Dig, it's good to see you. How's everything going? In your life. It's good to see you too, my friend. This is exciting doing this on video, our our second video knockback effort. It's going good. You know what I was thinking of, ironically, hmm. how good I smell right now. Oh. You can't get that. There's no smell-o-vision here on no. the YouTubes with the knockbacks. But yeah, I, I just, I smell delicious. That's just... What do you smell like? I smell like my cologne mingled with a little baby powder i think i wear escape these days it could be eternity i get those two confused wow that's like a that's like an old fragrance right like yeah. a classic fragrance it's og cool. it's yeah. og yeah good stuff um i like Ms. izimiyaki who's like a japanese designer he has like one scent i think but helene says it smells like lemon pledge <laughs> and she also says i like it because it's japanese which well she's not she's not wrong yeah you add like you can add a few we're both kind of like they add a few points <laughs> What's going on with you, my dude? Nothing. It's funny you brought up Lemon Pledge because I have wood steps that go up and I've never, I, I've cleaned them off but I, and dusted them and stuff, but I've never really, well, I've never, I've never dusted them with Pledge. So I bought this three pack of Pledge and a bunch of rags from Amazon and I pledged the stairs and now it's like a oh, Mario why, ice level. Why would you do that? It's a, it's literally a Mario <laughs> ice level now going up and down. Somebody's going to die. Ever the dogs like slipping, Mike is slipping. I'm, it's getting a little bit better now because like it's now the moisture I guess is getting into the wood and stuff. But it was like for Why a couple of days I was like I, I'm like I think I might have to like figure out how to get this off because <laughs> there's no runner, there's no carpet runner going down your stairs. It's just all wood. It's just all wood. Yeah. I see though that terrifies me actually. I, I Helene wants to do that in the house and apparently it's very expensive to get done. Like it's even if you even take into consideration like square footage. Of getting hardwood floor put down the stairs is like an super expensive because you have to redo the railings apparently and everything like that but i don't know if i love the idea of not having the runner you know what i mean it just really scares me so that's it looks pretty it looks awesome but yeah that's uh that sounds like you set up a proper video game obstacle in your house 
<laughs> yeah, I, I totally um, almost killed myself several times. So it's weird. And, and I also thought you'd appreciate that the snow pile outside my house that we were talking about. How's that last looking? Week's episode, it's uh, well, it snowed again. And so it's bigger than it was last week. So I'm I'm excited. I looked like a psychopath again out there because it was like barely snowing. It was like raining and kind of and I was like getting it on the pile and, you know, trying to maintain it. If the kids came over, they could enjoy it. Perhaps the neighborhood kids, you know, they can yeah, enjoy I mean, it as a little sledding hill. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that's right. a so, thing. Yeah. Well, I'll be keeping an eye on my cameras to make sure to see, see if anyone's playing. Out Please there. do. Yes. Your Scarface. Cameras. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Try to tune in. See what's happening. All right. So for the uninitiated knockback is our retro and nostalgia podcast. We do each and every week. You can support it. Get it one week early and ad free by going to patreon.com slash last stand media. That's where our other podcast sacred symbols and defining Duke are supported as well. So we have a lot of value over on that Patreon. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show and topic ideas to the show as well. And um, today's actually one of the episodes where we're not going to take any solicitations, let's say, from the audience, because instead we have decided that we're going to, and I think this was a fan-voted topic, to rewrite the Star Wars, the new Star Wars trilogy, so 7, 8, and 9. In other words, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 all exist, and then we're going into 7, and what would we make it? And originally, actually... We were going to do the entire trilogy and kind of do like a a little bit of a treatment for our three movies. Instead, Dagan came up with the idea that why don't we split it into three episodes, which I love that idea. So this afternoon, instead of just having some kind of small notes, I actually wrote a pretty full treatment of this movie, like oh, more I'm than excited. a page, I would say. I'm psyched. Um, in text. Plus the opening crawl, because one of the things I told Dagan was that we each have to have write our opening crawls for the movie. Brilliant. And um, I actually I'm sure you I knowing you, I'm sure you titled your movie. I actually struggled a little bit with what I should name my movie. And so I wanted to kind of pitch it to you and then maybe we can name it together. Oh, cool. And try to figure out what it what it should be called. But that's the idea for today's. I'm excited about this episode. I've been looking forward to exciting. Very exciting. You guys called. I mean, the whole thing is a one overarching fan solicitation. Right. And you guys really called us out. You said, okay, you don't like the new sequels. Do it yourself. (laughs) It's hard. I can t- I'm going to tell you right now, we could pick on Kathleen and JJ and Ryan and the powers that be over at Disney slash Lucasfilm, whatever. It's tough. And naming it, I agree with you. Naming the, the, the films is tough. Naming the characters, any new characters, also very tough. Right. So, I and I love what you said, Kyle. This is a precursor to like mm. not taking into consideration anything that necessarily came you know, just taking into consideration everything that came before. And then I had a weird thing where it was like, you could get really saddled by all of the now legends, fiction, the side fiction, books, cartoon series, all that kind of stuff. I tried to stay away from, you know, incorporating any of that just so I wouldn't be hampered by that. But then I did a thing, which we'll talk about as it comes up, where I kind of called at least one of the offshoot movies i referenced one of the offshoot movies and something i did so kind of playing a little fast and loose with the rules but for the most part we're gonna we're gonna try to stick to that track i think it's funny you brought that up because i I actually i'm looking at my notes here that i wrote by hand before i typed everything out 
And there were elements that I decided I wanted to just make like a pros and almost a pros and cons type list, as it were, just where I was like, I here are the things from the new movies that I wanted to make sure I got into the movie, the movie. And here are the so in other words, like here are the things from seven, eight and nine, including characters. OK, where I'm like, let's play with some of these guys. We oh, don't okay. have to have all of them. But like, how can we include some of these ideas? Like and then this. also the things that, that were in those movies where I'm like, these need to go. Okay. And so <laughs> I can tell you right now. So like. I knew I needed to get Luke, Leia, Luke, Han, R2, and Chewie in the movie. Okay. I knew I wanted Poe in the movie. FN2187, the idea of a turncoat soldier. I kept okay. that. General Hux, Captain Phasma, kept those characters, although they are kind of different. And the idea of stolen plans, I wanted to keep as well. Okay. But then I was like, we got to get rid of 3PO. I can't stand him anymore. Wow. We don't need... Yeah, we don't need... And so they don't even really touch on that. We, no need for Ray because this is not really about that. Okay. Starkiller base or the super weapon. No need for that. No Snoke. No Galactic Empire or First Order. So that the, they're dead. They're, they lost. Okay. And there's no resistance. Wow. So that was... Those were kind of the, the things that I, I wanted to keep and the things that I wanted to throw out. Okay. Uh, from my new movie. Now, what we have to decide is who's going to go first. I'm wondering how you feel. I mean, do you have a do you have a preference before I even pursue it any further? Because your preference is fine with me. No, I really don't. I mean, I'm nervous and excited about sharing mine. I'm super excited to hear what you think. I'm excited because I think ours are going to be different. I predict ours are going to be pretty different. Definitely. And, you know, it's it's a challenge, man. I'm, I'm like looking forward to the criticism or, you know, the accolades of like, oh, that's a good idea. Or actually, this is pretty sorry. You know, because this is really putting your money where your mouth is. Definitely. You know, yeah. for sure, of an IP that we we both adore. Many of our listeners and watchers adore. Um, I really don't have a preference. Do you want to flip? Do you have a coin on hand? Do you want to flip a coin? I don't. I, I actually was thinking about that, and I don't have a. Let coin. me see if I have one in my drawer here. I don't think yeah, I look, do. But let maybe me see. have one. If not, I can go get one. Okay. Either that, or we could flip this data card. Stick That's so funny. Slip. It's so weird. I was looking. I opened my drawer, and that is also what i was thinking so that's awesome yeah so all right well you know what give me a second and i'll go get a coin okay okay we'll do sounds it right. good in the meantime i will regale you with my little miniature emperor here can you even see him yeah he's a little, he's shooting his force lightning there i don't even know what this guy's doing there Beep. there he is now young skywalker you will die where should we put him should we can we put him somewhere Keep them up there for a little bit. You got a coin? All right. All right. I'm back. Now, I found a nickel. An American nickel. There it is. Dig, let's say I'm just going to flip it and let it land on the carpet behind me. Call it in the air? Yeah. So why don't we say whatever you call. Okay. Because I know you don't want to necessarily pick who goes first and goes second. So we'll just say, you know, what? Okay. let's just say this. Heads okay. is you, tails is me. Perfect. Fine. Let's do it. All right, I'm flipping it. Okay. Heads is Dagan. All right, I'm flipping it. Here we go. It is heads. So you go first. Here we go, my friend. I'm very excited. All right, so we're going to start with the crawl. And then I did a lot of writing. I'm not even going to tell you how long I spent on the writing. It's a lot. Um, I'm going to be reading out of a notebook for a lot of it, so I apologize, but I'll try to make it as entertaining as I can. And then, Please. Kyle, you tell me after the crawl how I follow it. I could follow it with a synopsis, then I went to the characters, so we could get get as in-depth as you want. I'm excited that we're doing one at a time because I think it allows a little more time to breathe on each one. Sure. Which would be fine. I agree, yeah. I, just to, I mean, yeah, well, let's hear your crawl first because I wrote, I wrote my crawl and then I just wrote like a page and a half of like the story. 
And oh, beat, so let's go beat. back and forth on the. I'll do the crawl, then you do your crawl. We'll go back and forth. This way, is that all right? Sound so good? let's do that. All right. Yeah, okay. All right. So yeah, you do your crawl. I'll do my crawl, and then you introduce everything, and I'll do mine. Okay. okay. This way, it all leaves right. a little bit of uh, suspense for the audience. Maybe, hopefully, in a perfect world, who knows? Okay. So first of all, I have to start with saying no, JJ. This will begin to make things right. Oh. I see what you did in that first movie, JJ. No one yeah. ever talks about that quote, but I I like that he put that in there. It started on a good note. Went south after that, but it would start on a good note. So, Kyle, for me, my Star Wars Episode 7, I'm calling it Dawn of Ghosts. Okay? Ooh. Dawn of Ghosts. I'm taking And this is, the, this is the, the crawl. Imagine it, if you will. The crawling yellow text going back into space. Here it is. Many years ago, after the destruction of the first Death Star, Darth Vader devised a plan for a new and secret evil to be unleashed upon the universe. However, an age of order and justice has prevailed. A decade and a half after their decisive second victory over the Galactic Empire, the Rebel Alliance has restored the Republic. The Empire's looming shadow has long faded, and it has been a time of growth, pride, and prosperity. But once faint whispers of darkness have grown louder and vengeance emerging from those old shadows and others may soon be imminent. Ooh. What do you think? I like so that. Far? You're in? Well, I'm, I'm in. I mean, You're I, I think that in? sounds great. Okay, also, good. a kind of a focus of maybe on Vader a little bit, which is something we're both going to share. And, uh, oh, that's very tantalizing. I All like right. the name. All right. I have my, I'm taking my notes here on my legal pad. All right, here's my crawl. Okay. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In pursuit of a millennia-old Jedi secret, Skywalker has abandoned his post in the New Republic with the assistance of a shadowy corporation called Hail Systems. At the helm of Hail Systems is a religious prophet known only as Karen, a devotee of the forces, a devotee of the Force's long-forgotten spiritual foundation. His military commander, General Hux, has reportedly closed in on their target with Skywalker's aid. Princess Leia, concerned about her brother's disappearance, dispatches Chewbacca and star pilot Poe Dameron to discover Luke's whereabouts. So that's, that's the, uh, the beginning of the, wow. Yeah. I'm, I am, I'm in, I like, first of all, that you're dealing with a corporation. That's something Star Wars has never done in the mainline films at all. Yeah. That's something I wanted to do was to like enough with the empire, you know, like what, how, where else could power lay? And it's with a mega corporation called hail systems, dude, led by a religious prophet. I love that. So, okay. So that's, that's where we begin. All right. So, I kick it back over to you. Okay. All right. So tell me a little bit. I mean, take it however you want. Okay. So, I mean, you know, if you want to give me a synopsis, that's totally fine. I'd love to hear it. Okay. I'll start with the broad strokes and then, and then work my way. And I wrote like sort of a follow up to that crawl. So I'll start with that. So it kind of fleshes out what I'm talking about the story. What I love here is that I really admire what I think you're doing because you're incorporating some of the existing things in those sequel films. And I think that's you're making it even more challenging for yourself by doing that. Not that you're not up for the task, but I think that's a difficult thing to do. So I really admire that. And I have to say from the outset, I went in the complete opposite direction. There's very few things that would be familiar, the existing episodes seven, eight, and nine in mine. So that's great. Um, I mean, that's yeah. A, so from the outset, gonna... just so you know. Yeah, that's, I think that's awesome. You know, that presents its own set of, of challenges because you're coming up with everything afresh. And I found that that was actually kind of challenging because my main, what something I did want to kind of use or at least a theme or a missed opportunity I think from the existing sequel films Kyle is 
something that I saw glimpses of, but they didn't really cash in on, which was a thing of Darth Vader's redemption and his acolyte or his follower sort of embracing the philosophy of his master or his idol or whatever, not really knowing that that master sort of was completely redeemed at the end, went the completely opposite direction before he died. So basically carrying on the philosophies of somebody who abandoned those philosophies and the tragedy inherent in that. Right. And they didn't really ever do that with Kylo Ren, you know, Mm. where he was like worshiping his grandfather and everything he stood for. But it it was almost like he didn't really care that he abandoned those philosophies. It was just like, that's what he was on board for. He was just embracing the darkness like his grandfather or whatever. So that, that was something that was sort of a backing stroke to what I did. And also of course, something that we've talked about on knockback many times in our Star Wars discussion, but for those of you, especially who haven't been on board for those conversations, something with me as a Gen Xer that I talk about all the time is, you know, honoring the legacy of those original characters, especially Luke and Han and Leia. And I would, I would throw Lando into that as well. So trying to do something proper with those characters, giving them another proper storyline and maybe not even making this the last of it, but at least giving them one more full story arc before you hand off the baton to those for the kids, Disney characters that are going to take on the mantle, you know? So that was another overarching thing. So basically Dawn of Ghosts is this many years ago, after the destruction of the first death star at the hands of the scrappy rebel Alliance, Darth Vader channeled his rage into a secret project. With the Emperor's leave, he would create an entirely new army which would more than double the ranks and power of the Empire, but which he would hide in the shadows only to call upon if ever needed. So you have to think, another sort of enticing thing for me was like, let me start a story that threads back into the original trilogy and you could actually sort of think about what Vader was doing in those off-screen moments, you know, at in Empire Strikes Back, in Return of the Jedi, that he had this whole other thing going on in those, you know, in-between moments where we didn't see him. Like, maybe he left the invasion of Hoth and he went to go do this other thing that was, like, this completely clandestine project. But Admiral Piet. Yeah. (laughs) So at the top of this massive... I love love it, by the way. I just want to just tell you. That means a lot. I was nervous. Do you... Now, I don't want to interrupt you already, yeah. but do you no, also no. intend a connection to the original, not the original, but to the prequels? Because they deal with these massive armies. Yes. Is that also an echo that you're trying to? There is something of? that'll come up with the prequels, the prequels, or at least hearkening back to that time that I want to explain. Okay, cool. But very few things, actually, but one specific, very specific thing. So that's a great question. So at the top of this massive clandestine fleet, Vader would plant his young apprentice, Darth Geist. Okay. Now, let me start by saying I really like the the name of Darth Geist. Geist, of course, being German for ghost. So we're carrying on the Vader, you know, the Dark Father thing with the German and everything. I tried not to go look at the offshoot Star Wars fiction to see if there was a Geist, and there is, unfortunately. So if it really, it's not a Darth Geist. It's another insidious evil Geist of some sort, but. In the in place of Geist, we could always say Darth Wraith, but I like Darth Geist, so we'll stick with that for now. No, I think Darth Geist is great. No, stick with it. It's your story. So, training his pupil in his exact image, 
and imparting all of his powers, essentially creating an exact replica of, of himself in many ways, a phantom Vader, only even more powerful. Geist would be responsible for training a new group of Sith with only the most skillful and talented accepted into their ranks. This small group of Dark Force users would ultimately number at seven in total. Vader named them the Tempest. All right, so let me let me go on with one more detail that I think is important, and then I'll kick it over to Kyle. Okay. So the Emperor was appraised of Vader's pet project and gave his consent. Now, we're dating back to between Star Wars and Empire now. Are there flashbacks of this? That's That was another vehicle is that I thought if you're going to do flashbacks in Star Wars, which is a divisive thing, and I understand that's a polarizing thing to want to do with Star Wars, but if you were going to do flashbacks, what better character to do flashbacks for than Vader because you could do it. I mean, what five-minute piece of film did we get from Star Wars over the last 10 years that was the most memorable? That end of Rogue, Rogue One, right? I mean, Vader is just an, uh, an evergreen character, and you could do that. So that was another thought where it's like you could go back and, and show Vader, and you could get away with it. You know what I mean? You don't have to do that you know, Uncanny Valley with Tarkin or Vader, uh, Leia or anything. You could actually go back and revisit Vader sure. and pull it off. So that was another thing. So good, good point, Kyle. So the emperor, I just want to bring the emperor into it because it's important that he gave his consent, wanting his powerful underling to stay content and best of all, busy. Mm. The emperor only needed Vader to do his bidding, perform as he commanded. And otherwise it was good if Vader stayed occupied and sort of out of the way. Love that. He still believed, the, the emperor did, in his plan for a second, much more powerful Death Star. And as the ranks and might of the Empire grew, he had complete confidence in never needing Vader's backup army, as he thought of it. Silly and overly cautious, maybe even foolish, but why not? There was certainly They certainly had the war chest for it, and best of all, keeping Vader happy was sort of essential, especially because he would be the major tool used in order to sway young Luke Skywalker over to their side, which would be, the Emperor thought, the decisive blow against the Rebellion. Hmm. After Kyle kicks it back to me, I'll go on to where this takes place or what, what transpires after the Battle of Endor, after Return of the Jedi and how long it is and all that kind of stuff. But Kyle, kick it, let me kick it over to you now. We only have your crawl so far, so where do we go? Well, I'm wondering, like, all right. Well, should I should I introduce? Because I again I wrote. Let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I wrote eight paragraphs that are basically like the eight movements of the movie. Okay. Or like the eight major beats of the movie. So I can share them with you, um, and we can I can share a couple of them. Let's say. Yeah. And we can and we can throw back and forth if you'd like. Absolutely. As long as you don't spoil for me. As long as you don't spoil the subsequent chapters right as long as you don't give anything away no no no. nothing nothing this is being told as the as like what you'll see in the movie okay there's nothing here that will spoil anything else okay cool all right so chewbacca and poe are in a light freighter called the centurion a replacement for the millennium falcon which was lost in the years after the battle of endor they are joined by a droid bb8 who both poe and chewbacca understand poe like han understands chewie established that Han is alive but indisposed and that Poe and Chewie have been partners for some time. They express concern for Luke, who they haven't seen in months and share their thoughts on hail systems. In the distance is a desert planet, Tatooine. On Tatooine, Chewie and Poe pursue rumors of a turncoat soldier from hail systems private military. 
Poking around cantinas, stores, and back alleys, the two find an informant who tells them that the turncoat soldier is real and now in the employ of the huts, who retain power within the Mos Eisley spaceport and particularly its casinos and racetracks. Left with no other choice, the two head to the hut's mansion where, in a bar on the first floor, they hatch a plan. So that's the kind of the beginning, let's say, 15 or 20 minutes of the movie. 10, 15, you know, let's awesome. say 15 minutes. It's awesome so far. So we're introduced to Chewie and Poe. We, yeah. We're introduced to this new character, Poe, who you can envision looks a lot like Poe. Maybe he was a rebel fight, a fighter pilot. We don't really know that yet. Yeah, so they fly to Tatooine. And by the way, I wrote this in my notes that I wanted to establish this too. I wanted the movie to feel small because I feel like that was the best thing about Rogue One, which was the best Star Wars movie that we've gotten in years. And I wanted there to be few locales. I know that for for Star Wars fans, a lot of it is like, you know, going into space and all that. But think about the prequels and how muddy that all got. And like you're going to all these Geonosis and all these random planets. It's like, no, let's let's it's not really about that. And I wanted it to be character driven. So it's going to be about characters in specific places, few places, including familiar places. Okay. So that's kind of where we begin. We begin with the introduction of Chewie and Poe, the Centurion, which is going to, in my mind, be kind of the new iconic ship in the, and we have BB eight, who's kind of the, you can consider him exactly the same kind of droid in the, in the movie. We know that Han is alive, but as I wrote here, indisposed, we learn later in the movie, why, or at least what's happened. And uh, and we'll read that later. And then we know that they're pursuing the tur- this rumor of a turncoat soldier from Hail Systems and that they need to w- somehow deal with the Huts, the Hut family, who we haven't seen since. Um, well, Return of the Jedi. So really not very long, actually, awesome. in, in the grand scheme of things. It's awesome. So what do you think of that so far? Uh, it's awesome. I love that it feels familiar, even though it's all new. I love that you're doing a new Falcon. I love the boldness of getting rid of the Falcon. I, I don't think I ever thought of that, you know, involving the huts, involving racing. Like, it all echoes back to things we've already seen in Star Wars presented in a new way. That's one of the weird things with Star Wars that I find difficult and that we've realized for a long time, probably since the first, probably since The Phantom Menace came out, was that it's so weird it's such an elusive thing to try to capture what would work within Star Wars. You want to be inventive. You want to always do something new, but it's got to harken back some for some reason. It's always got to harken back, at least for me. I think you're like minded with this call where it's got to feel like the initial three movies. It's got to feel like it works within that framework somehow. And this is totally this has me on board for that 100 percent so far, which is cool because it's, it's introducing things that we've never seen, but it still feels like Star Wars, you know? Yeah, well, that was my whole thing with because we were talking about corporations and definitely exploring that. I'm sure some of the books explore that, but uh, not in my, you know, my experience. Super. And then cool. one of the interesting things is crime in this, in this universe. It's actually one of the cool things about the movie solo. Um, and one of the cool things about Han Solo as a character is the, it's this crazy criminal enterprise that they've, they're kind of always dealing with. And the huts are so cool. I don't feel like we, we kind of got them in episode one, uh, we get them in kind of episode four in the in the special editions. But in episode six, that's some of the most tantalizing stuff in any Star Wars movie is is the time spent in the palace and Bib Fortuna and the Gamorreans and Rancor Monster and the guards and, and Salacious Crumb. There's just a lot of good shit there. And so think about a, a world a few maybe a couple decades later where um, and we'll find out more about the huts as I read later um, where it, they're still there. You know, just because job is dead doesn't mean that they're they're not there. You know, so, so cool. I love calling them back into it. Organized crime. Yeah, exactly. You know, which is so right, cool. Exactly. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so Dig, let me kick it back to you. What, well, where do you want to go from here in the uh, exposition of your story? I mean, what, what's what's important? Because we're kind of telling this in different ways. So what's important for you to to expound on next? Yeah, I could kind of keep going. Yeah. So one thing important to realize is why... You know, this this faction, this thing that Vader was, this pet project of his that he was developing since, you know, early on, since right after Star Wars, right after the destruction of the first Death Star. So this is this had been going on already. Why? I think it's important to know why we never saw it. So I'll explain that. Okay. so during the Battle of Endor, Vader urged the Emperor to call in their shadow army, basically. And basically the reason why this thing was created in the first place, in order to never undergo any kind of catastrophe again, where it was like if they even had the slightest inkling that they could be defeated, they would just come in and crush them with overwhelming odds. You know, that's what this whole, that's what the brainchild of this whole thing was for Vader. Right. You know, just being so enraged and so embarrassed and humiliated by that first defeat, like just doubling down on that, this is never going to happen again. So such a massive boost in ships and soldiers, Vader thought, would have easily crushed the rebellion. But the emperor was too proud, feeling that he would destroy the rebellion handily without relying on additional help. Darth Geist and the Tempest waited for Vader's summons, which never came. Okay, so the Mm. Battle of Endor went the way the Battle of Endor went. The second Death Star was destroyed. The Empire, the, the Emperor rather, was sort of crushed by his own hubris. Apparent and everything happened. All the unforeseen things happened. Vader was still underwent his redemption. He died in his son's arms. Everything happened the way it happened. So, cut to about 15 years after the destruction of the second Death Star. So, The Force Awakens is like what, almost 30 years as it turned out after right. Return of the Jedi. I wanted to sort of have that. And there was a few reasons I wanted to do that. I was sort of tempted to kind of kick off right after Return of the Jedi because, you know, you have a 23-year-old Luke at that point. So even if you waited a couple of years, you have Luke in his prime, right? You have a 25-year-old Luke. That's enticing enough to see, right? So you would have a lot of advantages to just, for me, for what I want to see anyway, and hopefully others would want to see, just setting it right after Return of the Jedi at some point in the near you know future. But I thought 15 years was a nice, a nice way to go because you could still have the characters, you could still have Luke in his late 30s, let's say, still somewhat powerful, still with the ability, still sort of, you know, but he could also be sort of effective on his in his own right, but also, uh, you know, sort of thinking about the next chapter. You know, what happens? I'm, I'm aging. I'm becoming less effective. Do I do the Obi-Wan and Yoda thing now and sort of train the next generation? And also the same thing with Han. You still have a, a Han that's not quite as grizzled and old. So it was a nice compromise to sort of, I thought, 15 years plus yeah. for the new characters that I introduced. They wouldn't have to be infants or toddlers, you know, which 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 I'll which I'll talk about. So cut to about 15 years after the destruction, of the second Death Star, the Rebel Alliance now identified as the Total Alliance. And if that sounds a little weird to you, keep that in mind, because 
This is going to explore a little bit of the potential fascism of something that takes place with the Alliance later on. That the Alliance is not, you know, we did a warts and all exploration in Rogue One of what the Alliance had to do in order to achieve victory over the Empire. And you kind of got it because it was like, all right, you're fighting this evil force that's much bigger and much more powerful. So you got to kind of operate in the shadows a little bit and do some sort of dubious things and dubious practices and commit atrocities and all that kind of stuff. But this is a different thing because this is the Alliance at its, at its biggest and maybe sort of the, the veins of corruption are starting to creep in a little bit, but keep that thought on the side for now. So the total Alliance, they've enjoyed a decade and a half of growth and prosperity following their, you know, the demise of the empire. So following the destruction of the Galactic Empire's super weapon and sending the few remnants of the Empire reeling, the Total Alliance saw their ranks swell and their funding skyrocket with, of course, the re-inception of the Republic, you know, boosting the Republic back into power and everything. The Empire's abrupt absence, here's something where Colin and I are sort of like-minded. The Empire's abrupt absence did open up a lot of new space for the crime syndicates, new and old, to thrive. But the Alliance had the resources to police, protect, and administer justice in that regard, even employing bounty hunters to that end as necessary. Sort of taking on Empire-esque practices, becoming, mm. becoming a little bit of an Empire themselves. The criminal element existed in this world, and they threatened, but they were kept in check because the Empire was, you know, because the Alliance and the Republic were thriving. So that sets up the world now. And after this call, and I could wait on this, is I reintroduce, I introduce you to the characters, the old characters and the new characters, which is pretty much the next step for me. So this would be a good time to kick it back over to you if you're ready. Sure. Uh, I just wanted to say, I mean, I think it's cool to explore not only the themes, the, o- the overt themes of Star Wars and fascism. I mean, even the use of the term stormtrooper, it's not they're not really hiding it. And then re-exploring how fascism rubber bands and the other side can become fascist is, is a very, is a, it's a tale as old as time, really. And so I, I really like that a lot. Oh, thanks, dude. All right. So here's where I pick back up on my third paragraph here. Back on Coruscant, the capital of the New Republic, Princess Leia, now a senator, meets with her trusted advisors who inform her that Hail Systems has uncovered ancient ruins on a faraway uncharted planet. That points towards the long known but still ill understood spiritual and religious basis for the force, which had been reduced to inexact science in the years leading to the Galactic Civil War. So this is kind of a way to make the, the midichlorian stuff better, which is another thing that I wanted to do. And this movie actually deals with that. Their leader, Karen, is an obsessive acolyte of the force who claims Jedi like connections to it, even with a non-existent midichlorian count. He is said to command audiences of tens and hundreds of thousands with complete religious devotion. We then get our first look at hail systems, not through Karen, but through their military leader, General Hux, and his trusted second in command, Captain Phasma. In a conference room, the two talk with hail systems leadership about rumors of the same turncoat soldier Chewie and Poe are pursuing. His serial number is FN2187 and is known by those in his unit as Finn. Finn didn't leave hail systems empty handed. He has the company's plans in regard to the new planet they found and the information buried therein. The Hell System's executives, understanding they are pursuing profit at the demise of fair play, dispatch Phasma and her soldiers to find Finn, who is reportedly on Tatooine. First of all, Phasma, I, I envision no armor, beautiful blonde woman. That's kind of how I envision her. Super cool. 
And Hux is the same thing. These guys are in suits and ties. These aren't guys in military garb because they work for a company and and all of that. Um, so picture like a total regular boardroom where a lot of this stuff is happening. So Coruscant still exists. The New Republic is still headquartered there. Leia is a senator. Um, they he, they know about Karen. We still have never seen. We don't see him yet um, at all, but they know that this guy has. So the way I envision it, and you'll see some of it later, is that he's think about like the the, the southern mega churches, but think of think about them with like 100,000 people and this guy at the center of it or whatever. Um, so that's the guy they're talking about. But we keep hearing about him. but We don't we don't yet see him, but we see some of his people like Hux and Phasma, who are basically in charge of the company's military, private military. And so they are now pursuing this turncoat soldier that apparently got away with the plans of this secret planet they found that apparently holds the secret to the Jedi founding and the spiritual foundation for the religion. So that's where I leave it for now. Oh, dude, so good. We both love the fallen stormtrooper thing and the turncoat soldier, you know, in a larger sense, the turncoat soldier is like. You know, actually, that was such a cool thing, especially about The Force Awakens. And they I feel like they didn't really do anything with it. You know, we both feel like that. Isn't that the argument, though, that they were like that Finn? Kind, I mean, that, that's the reason that that actor is so kind of discontent is because it was clear it was supposed to be more about him as well. Yes. And then they kind of not didn't do anything with that character. They just it's a real shame. It, it is because he it was is. the most interesting person. At, well, I like Poe, too, but certainly and no offense to Ray, but just not a very good character. And no, they not really as chose to focus on the wrong one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to John Boyega's quality as an actor, just having so much potential with that character, you know, and like you did, centering a story, a proper story, at least part of that story around that thing that, you know, you imagine could happen in the Star Wars universe, but that we had never seen, you know, so that's, you know, that's it's it's basically running with something that we've all probably thought about. You know, I mean, it goes back It really that whole thing harkens back to A New Hope. Where, you know, you know, the stormtroopers are human because Han and Luke are wearing their suits, you know, so it's like they have all the capacities of being a human. They could be evil. They could rethink things. They could change sides. You know, they could do all that kind of stuff. So I, I love that. And remember, I mean, they kind of ruined the mysticism if you really want to look at it like that in the new movies, because I, I remember saying to you, like, I always kind of pictured the Empire as being like overtly racist and all of that, like where they were all human. Yes, like by by design, like they're all humans. All the stormtroopers are humans. All the leaders are humans. All of that, and they and then they kind of got away from that in the new ones, which was not to say the first order necessarily would be the same. But I always loved that too of having a really well fascistic and racist. Yes, um, but they're not racist for white people, or whatever. They're racist for humans. Yes, you know, um, in this universe, which feels right. You know, you're basing it on the the Third Reich. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, certain. I mean, certainly, because they you know, they don't really see in that universe. It doesn't seem like you know skin color or if you're Asian or whatever. It doesn't really seem to you're human. So at this point, I'm halfway. I would say I'm half. I'm halfway through my write up. Okay. But I would say that I'm probably forty percent through the movie at this point. Okay. So you have you know the introduction of Poe and Chewie. They go to Tatooine. They dick around. They go to the Sea of the Huts. We kind of cut back to Coruscant. We learn about Carrion and all of this stuff that they're doing in the midichlorians and this religious stuff. And then we see hail systems work and and we see their military kind of go into, into effect to chase Finn. And that's where we kind of are, let's say, 45 or 50 minutes into the movie. OK, so that's kind of how I'm pacing it. So I kick it back over to you. OK, cool. I, I like how you're doing it beat by beat. That's something really cool. I, I what I did here from this point on is I sort of introduce you to where you know the old characters where they're at now introduce yeah. you to the new characters as well 
good and bad. And then I think through that, you'll get a lot of what this first movie is going to be. But then after that, I can just give a very brief synopsis of what happens, what transpires in the movie to basically set up the cliffhanger. Sure. You know, that, that goes into great. the second movie. I love what, it. And what I wanted to do, Kyle, in terms of rhythm, which I thought would be interesting. If you're looking at, let's say you're looking at the movies from the rebellion's perspective, from the good guy's perspective, it's always been a thing where it hops back and forth in terms of tone. You know, you have, and Lucas was very big on that, you know, where you would have this old school sort of sci-fi serial philosophy where it would be like, okay, the good guys are up. Now the good guys are down. Now you got the cliffhanger. The good guys have to be up again. I think what I want to do with the first two movies is start it up, end it down. I want the middle movie to be down. And I don't really want to pick it up again until like halfway through the third Mm. movie. I want to present an outlook that might be, that might seem bleak, if that makes sense. So just kind of changing up the rhythm a little bit. Sure, but I I also think it's an ode, a healthy and wonderful ode to Empire, which we, we, we wouldn't have known before it came out and I wasn't alive, but you know, that ended up being this really bleak, hopeless movie that everyone loves. I mean, so people are looking for that with star Wars. I don't know why. Yeah. But that's what, I mean, we all seek it. That's, that's the high we want is empire. So I think pursuing that is very smart. Yeah. I mean, who, you know, and Lucas said about empire, you know, you put the, you put the good guys in this hole, they're never going to get out. And then the third chapter, they get out, you know, but to end the first movie down, keep it down and then keep it down until, you know, it looks like, because what the things that we're going to introduce this plan that Vader put together is, is pretty heavy. I mean, it's like the whole idea was like the empire was probably going to be enough to crush any threat, but had that notion ever been, you know, come in to come under threat, then what, the, what we would introduce would act be a no brainer. Like there's no way to beat this thing. And we're just going to keep it in reserve until we need it, you know, which is right. kind of an insidious philosophy because I love it. th- that's I love the core it. of evil. You know what it's I mean? A, it's like, it's we're going to, you know, there's no way you're going to win. If we have to pull out, you know, our last reserves is just going to be no way to beat it. So it's got to be a pretty dramatic thing. But let me start by saying, so I'll start with Han and Leia and how they, you know, sort of carry the baton into these into this next film. So a year after, about a year after the Battle of Endor, Han and Leia married. And it was important for me, the Han and Leia getting divorced thing was such a bummer for me, to put it simply. I had to make sure that they were married and they were on good terms. That was a that was a no brainer for me. Okay, you know? yeah, it's certainly. I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you don't want to see your heroes. Like we have to deal with that with our parents. So we have to deal with that with our heroes too. It's kind of a, just like a bad idea, I think. Yeah, we've been waiting for it for so long yeah. <laughs> since nineteen eighty three. You know, just like with Luke. You know, how do we how are we going to honor the legacy of these characters? And not that it always has to be positive, but just for this, you know. You know what, just, uh, th- this actually gave me a little pause to realize something about namesakes here. I did things with characters' names where they were throwbacks or they would honor previous characters. Just in terms of the writing, but also in terms of what the, ca- what the characters might name their kids as a reference to someone who was important in, in the past. But we could certainly play with that. You know, sure. this character that I'm about to introduce could be named Akbar for all we know. You know, <laughs> so we could, we could actually have fun with it too. Or Greedo or Jar Jar or something. But <laughs> All right, so Han and Leia were married. And their first child, who I named Owen, <laughs> of course, after my favorite uncle, nice. was born about 14 months later. That old man is a kooky old, kooky old shit. <laughs> that wizard's just a crazy old man. <laughs> Remember we used to say, we used to like just, 
Anyway, I like that. The saltiest dude on Tatooine. Definitely. Uncle Owen. So, a spitting image of his dad with that same winning smile and slightly impish but charming personality right from the start, Owen was a born pilot. He obsessed over flying from a very young age, and Han and Uncle Chewie taught Owen everything they knew. Unfortunately, much to his dad's chagrin, Owen dreamed of becoming an X-Wing pilot when he grew up, a source of much playful razzing from Han. Also, much like a younger Han, Owen is dismissive of the Force and all things mystical and magical, already preferring a good blaster to a lightsaber and teasing his Force-talented little sister incessantly. Owen is already quite large for his age, and he adds a physical toughness and strength to the fighting spirit that he inherited from his father. Owen also inherited his mother's kindness, courage, and diplomacy. He's a true blending of his parents in many ways. And Owen, it's important to note, Owen is 13 when the adventure begins, when, when our story begins. Okay. All right. So that's, the, that's, I'll introduce that. And then let me go, let me go a little further here. A little less than a year after they gave birth to Owen, Han and Leia had a second child, and I called her Jin. After... The great Jin Erso. From nearly the day she was born, their daughter exhibited an unmistakable talent for the Force, already able to levitate small objects and move items with her mind at only a few months old. So Jin established an immediate bond with her Uncle Luke, who marveled at her abilities. She seemed even more powerful than her famous grandfather, but her soul was pure and untainted. She was serene, balanced, and wise beyond her years. Jin became Uncle Luke's prized pupil and apprentice. Jin is 12 years old when the adventure begins. So just a nice. year younger than. Just a I year like having like kids brother. at that age in this in this story. We don't. It's really, something we haven't seen. Yeah, we get Anakin a little younger and then a little older, and we yeah. don't really get anyone else. No, right, right, because I mean, we see. Yeah, Anakin skips from like whatever it is, eight to how old is it when we see like 16, uh, 18, yeah. something like that, you know? Yeah. So that there's that whole period, that whole really formative period, especially for a Jedi dark, dark or light, you know, where it would be really fascinating to see them at this age where the power, they could already be powerful, already exhibiting extreme amount of talent, let's say, but also kind of scary because they haven't reached their peak yet. You know what I mean? So who knows where that power is going to go and where the allegiances are going to go too. Which is an important, you know, obviously an important thing in Star Wars. So, you know what? I'll, let me see how much I have to go here with characters. You know what? Let me. Yeah, I could go. I could do Han and Leia after you go next, I think. And I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit more about Han and Leia, not just the kids that they had. All right. So love it so far. I think it's great. Thanks, love dude. It. Love pulling in the Owen name, of course. <laughs> we both love Uncle Owen. All right. So. Back with Leia, I mean, we're talking about this. We meet her twin children, force gifted twins named Jaina and Jason. Han Solo is their father and Leia and her kids speak about him. For for several years, Han has been a recluse, seemingly on seemingly going through a nervous breakdown. Jaina and Jason, who were close with their uncle Luke, lament his absence. Jaina in particular seems intent on finding him and tells her mother that rumors abound as to where his whereabouts. She admit that she's been using the force to try and find Luke, though to no avail. Jason, who remains quiet during most of this conversation, has secretly also been using the force to find Luke. He has found him and they've been communicating. So we they don't know that, but we find that out through the 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 lens of the, of the viewer cool. or whatever. And Jaina and Jason are like you know, 15 or 16 years old twins. Our only look at Luke in the movie is aboard a hail system starship where he's in a clean black and white room with a great view and the best amenities. 
However, Luke is fixated on only one thing, a decrepit helmet, that of his father, Darth Vader. He quietly speaks his thoughts to the helmet as we see flashbacks to the end of Return of the Jedi. Following Luke's killing of the Emperor and Vader's death, he escapes, or I'm sorry, following Vader's killing of the Emperor and then Vader's death, he escapes the second Death Star but never shares with anyone that for several years thereafter, beginning during the celebration on Endor and lasting until the Reformation of the Republic, Vader has been communicating with him from an ethereal and little understood string of the Force. Luke is using that same power to speak with Jason, who is encouraging, and he is encouraging him to come to him. So Luke is trying to get Jason to come join him in this place, and they're speaking through the Force. However, Jaina doesn't have that kind of power and is more intent on trying to follow the thread on Tatooine. So the twins are going to split up soon, although we're not going to see that in this movie. So that's where I'll leave it. It's awesome. So Leia and Han have two kids. Han is apparently having a nervous breakdown of some sort, a mental break, which is really important to the story, but we don't get into that in this movie. And then it's almost a Purim and Palom type thing. I mean, you and I both love Purim and Palom from Final Fantasy four, where one is good and one is bad, um, or at least one is inclined to good and one is inclined to bad, black and white, black magic, white magic, whatever. So cool. So that's where we we keep it with with the family for now. So uh, I kick it back over to you. I love that. I love the Jaina and Jason thing from the now legends fiction is it weighs heavy because it was just it was good. It was just really good. And it came, you know, of course, all of that fiction came at a time where there was that void in Star Wars before we got the terror attack that was the pro on the fandom. That was the prequels, a discussion for another time. But you know, that, that was, we, we clung to those things because they were good and we, they were just well done. And we imagined that, that, that would work, you know, just so, and I love that you're not afraid to incorporate that into the, into the story because it was, why, why not? Especially if it fits in your, in your framework. And, you know, again, it's just like, th those things for me were, were hard to, to escape from. Because I, I find myself going back to those things that we love, you know, whether it was a, a specific tales from Jabba's palace or the Jaina and Jason thing, Jaina and Jason thing, or the Admiral Thrawn thing, the heir to the Empire stuff, like Shadows of the Empire, like that stuff is just so well done. And it already came 25, 30 years ago that it was like, it's hard to get out from under that weight. Yeah, I wanted to incorporate as much of it as like, I mean, something there's a Han Solo trilogy. I don't remember who wrote it specifically a sequel or, or a, a series of books, three books about him and his family and all that. They're so good. I, I forget who wrote it, but they're excellent. And so, yeah, I wanted to get them in here and and because uh, I wanted to be about Luke and Han's kids. I mean, we, yes, that's why I didn't want to say at the beginning to kind of ruin it that I, I really don't want Kylo Ren in this either. But he's he's kind of in it in some way, or at least the spirit of him is in it. But I wanted these two twins that are kind of dealing with this tension that has haunted their family. So, of course, it's going to haunt them about good and bad and evil and good and one being pulled this way and one being pulled that way. And I love the idea of Luke having this really. And I, I know this is something you don't like. And it, it, Luke having a sort of insidiousness where like Luke's gone, like he disappeared. He went with this corporation in there and he's like totally obsessed with going after what they found and is actually instrumental in, in them finding it to begin with. Yeah. And we don't really know much about him by the even by the end of this movie about like what. In fact, the only time and I wrote this, the only time we even see a lightsaber is in his room and it's not turned on. Like we don't ever see lightsaber wow, otherwise in the entire movie. You know? And cool. it's just like sitting on a table. Wow, dude. It's brave. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, this is a column. I don't think anyone is good. You know, they would laugh me out of Disney <laughs> if I tried to present this movie. But but uh, yeah, so that's where I leave it. So we're about 
I would say at this point, 75 or 80 percent through my movie. OK, at this point. OK. And then we'll we'll set. So a third of the setups now in play. The twins are now in play. There's two more things to set up going into the next movie and we'll and we'll set those up next, but I'll kick it back over to you for now. OK, well, that's a proper I mean, that's a proper setup. You know, the, I, I love the rhythm of it. I, I love the way it's stepping. I love that we're getting introduced to characters. And I do love that it's about these characters that inherit all this from their parents. You know, I think yeah, that's the baggage, almost not just the force, but the baggage, everything, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, everything, the conflict, the life that they decided to lead you know, their enemies, their foibles, their, the challenges, the good things they've done, everything. It all comes as one package and it's almost inevitable. Like I think Star Wars, I think these things should be a legacy that are passed on to the heirs, no matter who they are, whether they're blood adopted, you know, nieces, nephews, whatever it is. Right. So, all right. So let me go to Han and Leia and just say where they're at now, post return of the Jedi going on a decade and a half after the Battle of Endor and, and, and where they sit right now. So Han and Leia remained figureheads at the top of the Alliance through the years. Han repeatedly but politely turned down promotions to Admiral, preferring to stay in the fight as a general where he could comfortably lead squadrons into a charge if a crime syndicate or a mercenary or a group of local thugs ever got out of order. So you could see Han really wanting to stick to that where he could be, you know, he could sort of be in the fight. He could be have his boots on the ground. You know, he could he, he could lead and he could use his charisma that way. But he wants to be in the action. So there were still adventures, but they were becoming fewer and fewer and far between. And Han knew he would need to settle into some kind of behind the scenes role at some point as he was aging. However, reluctantly, he was getting a little older and he knew there was something elegant about going out at the top of his game. So Leia's life took on a different hue now as a mom of two whom she adored very much. But she still had a fierce calling to be involved with the cause, with her alliance to fight against oppression and injustice, which was woven into her very fabric, of course. She found that functioning as a commander satisfied her itch to continue to serve spearheading operations and navigating the alliance through various challenges, sometimes with aggression, and sometimes with diplomacy and occasionally with a combination of both. She was still good at that, and it gave her pride to be able to lend, you know, lend her voice and her heart to help sustain that which she helped build. She also was vital to the training of a new wave of young Alliance leadership, whom with fiery hearts like her own would take up the mantle and steer the Alliance into the future. So there's these things going on as the Alliance and the Republic sort of comes into power without the shadow of the empire sort of looming over them. And as I said, those veins of corruption and infighting and everything going on, but Leia still represents the positive side to everything and sort of keeps it all. She's really the one anchoring it to its heritage rather than where it's slowly going, unfortunately. So we'll see a lot of that through her and people that are around her. You know, she has, she has 3PO at her side still all the time as an advisor Akbar still, you know, Akbar and the admiralship are still very much involved in the military side of things. And she's very much involved in that side of, of the operation too. So there's a lot of that still going on. There's, there's a kickback, I guess there's that contingent. That's a kickback to that corruption, but it's starting to seep in now with as big as the Alliance and the Republic are. So, and then I wanted to, one of the things for me was introducing Lando. I just feel like 
for at least for my story, it would be very naked without him. As I felt in episode seven and eight, it's like, where the hell is Lando? He was like such a main component. He became, you know, he he came in late, but he was a he was a became a main component of the fight of, of and and of the you know of that very small group of main allies. So Lando, I thought what would be fun to do with him. Lando has enjoyed his role as a diplomat and an emissary. After being elevated to war hero status, after yeah, destroying, I was say, he must have been he must have been given his pick of the litter. Right? Exactly, he that's exact. That, that's yeah. exactly right. Watch what the next sentence says. After destroying Sorry. the second Death Star, Lando was given his choice of positions within the Alliance. He was given carte blanche. His charm and charisma have smoothed many a wrinkle between the Alliance and outside factions. Although the pair are still very close, Han misses having his old buddy along for adventures, and he often drags Lando along on a mission or two, sort of twists his arm for old time's sake. Han, Lando, and Chewie still make a great trio, and Lando grudgingly admits that he misses. He does miss that life sometimes. But you could just see Han, Louie, Chewie, and Lando sort of still doing their thing. So they're sort of, sort of they're aging, but there's still that roguish side, the side that sort of embraces and cherishes, like relishes an adventure. And even Lando, even though he's got this cushy role and this palatial life, and you know he he never married, so he enjoys women and you know all the finer things. But Han still misses his dude, so they still you know they still go on escapades together. Han still drags him in. And Hans, the, the thing about Lando is he's still an amazing pilot. He's still good in the battle. He's still charismatic. He could talk his way out of a fight. So to have Han and Lando, I just wasn't, an, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to see that go. I, I need to have a little more Han and Lando, that dynamic. Sure. We could see that post Return of the Jedi. Well, that, because we didn't, we didn't get to see that in the new movies because no. they, they were foolish enough to kill Han before they got Lando in, which robbed us of that moment. It, it totally robbed. And I, you know, I liked, what they talked about, which was complete exposition, unfortunately, but that Lando, you know, Lando and Luke in the actual movies, you know, joined up, joined forces together and did some stuff for a while as a team, which was, I thought was kind of cool, you know, and especially it was, it's sort it was sort of outside the box for me because without Han in that equation, it's a different dynamic. Luke and Lando is much different than Han and Lando, but Definitely. I liked it. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. And I could see how the two would become close after all they they went through and stuff like that. All right. So, you know what, Kyle? This might be... All right. Let me do Luke, and then I'll introduce... If if that's okay, and then I'll introduce you to the new characters. Sure. If that sounds good. Please. That sounds great. Okay. So, here's what I thought about for Luke. And Luke's the other one that I thought would be interesting, and you'll see why I'm saying this, why it would work, I think, is because... Like we could go back and do Vader flashbacks of what happened, what transpired behind the scenes... During Empire, during Return of the Jedi, with hit Darth's interactions with Geist and the Tempest, and building this new faction and going off and you know and doing this thing with the Emperor's leave, although the Emperor wasn't, yeah, you know, the Emperor humored it, but he didn't think it was important. He just wanted his pupil to be content. So while all that was going on, I thought you could have a couple of flashbacks here. I want to start it from when you know, when Han and Leia's kids are already 12 and 13. So Luke already has to be past this point, but I thought we could explore this in flashback a little bit. So starting with after their victory celebration at Endor, Luke said a tearful goodbye to his friends and his sister and spent about two years in isolation, pleased at their win over the emperor, but deeply saddened at the loss of his father. 
I thought that was really important for him mm. to... So Luke spent about 24 months in mourning, meditation, and training, mostly at Dagobah, and just with R, just him and R2. So that's nice. what he did immediately post uh, Return of the Jedi. He then returned to his friends with a new sense of optimism. A little bit of a lingering melancholy with Luke, but definitely an excitement to get back to his friends and a new sense of, a new sense of optimism because... He quickly decides to find and train a new generation of Jedi, and he had he you know he finds and trains several talented pupils at the out, at the outset of our film. We could already see that he's already in the throes of doing this, which includes his gifted niece Jin, who's one of his one of his youngest one of his younger pupils. So these twelve he has twelve students that range in age from seven to eighteen. Most of them are on the older side, and. That's where we first meet Luke. He's already in the throw. You know, they're back together again. Lando's doing off doing his thing as a diplomat, but he's still involved with the group. Leia and Han, I explained what they're doing. And Luke is still, he's still in the same sphere. You know, he's still in the same hemisphere with his, with his old allies, but he decided to take up the mantle and embrace, you know, the, his mentors that came before and doing what Obi-Wan and Yoda did by taking a new you know, a new generation under his wing and showing him the ways of the force. The other cool thing I thought would be cool with Luke is, and Kyle knows I feel this way about Luke, like so badass in the opening of Return of the Jedi, for instance, where we really see like there's a huge departure to getting his ass kicked at the end of Empire Strikes Back to swaggering into Jabba's palace and just taking no names, right? And of course, the whole thing happens with the Rancor and everything, but he wins. And we see how powerful he is. How cool would it be to see Luke... Again, this was another thing where it was hard to avoid the temptation of of showing you a Luke in his mid twenties. But how cool would it be to see a Luke like in his late thirties that like he that's it. That's Luke at the pinnacle of his powers. He knows everything he knows. And maybe he has maybe he could do some cool shit. You know, maybe he does a force teleportation things, or maybe I'm very inspired by Bioshock Infinite here, but he could open up tears you know, in, in, the, in fabric, make little black holes while he's fighting, whatever. Like, let's do some new things that we haven't seen before. And you could kind of write it off as, you know, you have to practice restraint with this type of stuff. But that's one of the things for me that would be a get. It would be like, okay, well, if Luke is one of the most powerful Jedi that ever lived, maybe he could go a little further than what we've seen done. You know, what what would he be capable of? What really cool shit could he do? You know, we see that that sort of forced teleportation or whatever the hell that is at the end of the last Jedi when he sort of projects himself. So, you know, what could you, and I'll explore this with some of the other Jedi that I introduce you to, but that's one of the cool things is that now we could see Luke in a training capacity and through that, not through combat necessarily, but through training, see what this guy is capable, you know, our hero is capable of now, which is, you know, for me was, was one of the exciting things to think through is like what, could be, you know, what could he be capable of now that he could pass on to a younger generation? I, I love that. It's interesting because one of the cool things that the the new movies did, like you said, was introduce some of this new Force stuff. I even love the in the beginning of the Force Awakens when Kylo Ren stops the beam, oh, like that. the the fire, like and and like you can see it from all the angles. So cool. I, I thought that was super neat. And there was there, they they did introduce like a lot of like Kylo Ren was doing a lot of interesting stuff, which I and there whole force communication which i guess is in my story in some way too so yeah i totally agree it's interesting to think about how like incredibly powerful um it can all be all right so in my story let me see here so we've we've set up a third of the the setup into the second movie which is um the twins 
and their path. So it says here, back on Tatooine, Chewie and Poe navigate the Hut mansion and end up meeting with Rieger the Hut, a grandson of Jabba the Hut and the main player in Tatooine's sin scene. During this meeting, Hut acknowledges Finn's existence and even introduces the two sides. Finn is working as a mercenary on behalf of Rieger, and he's willing to let him out of his contract if the three agree to work on his behalf, particularly in regards to unfinished business, which he explains. But we don't hear him explaining that. All sides agree, and Finn goes with Chewie and Poe, though he remains in the forced employee of the Huts. The movie ends with our only look at Karen, who stands in the center of a massive arena, giving what is essentially a church service. He screams out that old rules about the Force and who can use it are lies, and brings person and alien alike on stage to exhibit their powers, from flinging things to and fro to lifting people up in the air. He promises those in the arena and watching from around the galaxy great power, wealth, and prestige if they follow his movement, and that they are nearly ready to reveal an entire planet dedicated to the new age of the Force. And that's how the the movie kind of ends with that scene. So picture it as like a, an almost a scene, an evangelical kind of gathering of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people with this guy. And I picture Riga, or um, Karen rather as uh, just wearing, almost looking like a bishop or a pope. And I envision the iconography of this whole movement as being very Catholic, not with Jesus and stuff, but just with lots of like iconography and, and all of this, but then like a lot of simple, simplistic design. So you can see like on the stage, you can kind of garner the different ranks of the different people in his order by what they're wearing. There are guys that look like friars and guys that look, you know, like kind of like where they're very base or deacons. And then there are guys that look like bishops and, you know, all that. And so it's basically this movement that's basically trying to evangelize the force as being for everybody. And they're trying to prove that it can be for everyone and that they, they basically been lied to about the force for many years, if not decades, centuries, millennia about, this almost exclusivity, but really it's open to anyone. And that's like what they're all about. And and so it, it, the movie ends with this like crazy religious fear scene or whatever. And then the movie ends. At that. So yeah. good. It's so good. It's so, that's a really a departure from, you know, just using religion and the capacity, especially in an evangelical capacity, you know, maybe even cultish and then drawing that up with the force, you know, that's, you know, that's really clever. I mean, that's something that Star that's sort of area that Star Wars hasn't really trodden into, but that could work so well, especially with trying to, you know, yeah, I mean, just trying to evangelize the force. That's just like, you know, because inherently, you know, there's something that if it's not wrong, at least we haven't seen it yet. It's bold, you know, that 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 not that it's wrong for the idea, but that people would know that that's like not the way to use the force, but Maybe it is, you know, it's such a mysterious thing. How do you reckon that, you know, and, and the people involved in that and dude, that's really smart. I mean, that's a proper story. I mean, that's, that's something I could see like Lucasfilm going, yeah, we could do a whole series on this, you know, very cool. Yeah. It's, it, it, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, to me, it, um, you know, I just like the, I like, I, I, for some reason I was just envisioning, you know, like when you see these church services, like these wild church services and their people are like speaking in tongues yes. and they're walking up to people and like making them faint and like everyone's going crazy. That's kind of how I envision it, you know, like where, but like people are using the force, right? Like doing like the little things with the force or like, I even pictured like one guy, I don't know, like for, I don't know if it would be too, too hokey, like one guy strangling someone and then, and then Karen kind of putting his hand, like putting his hand over his hand, like putting it down or Dude, whatever, that's you know? mi- that's amazing. And, like stuff like that. To maybe even, even indicate that he's not as insidious as it seems, although he is. Yeah, so that's kind of where my story ends. So the twins are in pursuit of Luke. Luke is with the Hale Systems Company. 
Hail Systems works with Karen, who's their leader, who's this evangelical guy who's creating a movement behind the force. And Chewie and Poe are working for the Huts to try to find this turncoat so that they can find Luke. Because these two stories, by the way, are not even congruent. They don't even give a shit at this point about Karen at all. Um, that's the other thing I should note is that like Leia and all the old Rebellion guys don't care about any of this. They they don't even really understand the connection between all of it yet. They want to find Luke. Right. It just so happens that they're about to collide with each other in some way. So I'm on the edge of my seat. First of all, you use the whole Luke is missing thing, which is such a draw. You know, I mean, it's like that's the one character you want to know what the hell's going on with. So to to employ that is just clever. I mean, it's just clever. You know, what they ended up doing it in the with it in the actual films was a disgrace. But starting it off that way was awesome because that's that's what you're on board for. You know, you want, what what's going on with Luke? Of course. You know. So and I you know, I just love every I you, your story I'm vi- I could visualize everything you're saying. It's like storyboarding itself in my head. It's all very visual. Like it's 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 really very tactile. Like I I could I could envision everything that's happening. Like it just and I love the twins. I love that they're of different sort of disciplines, but they're that they're together. I, that that whole Palum, Palum and Palum thing, where it's like, yeah, that's huge. Why couldn't they fight? I mean, that's what we could have gotten with Kylo and Ray if they just embraced both who they were and then fought back to back. You know how cool right. would that have been? And it, for a while, we thought that's where that was going. And it's like, God forbid, we should you know think of something that amazing it's just like i don't know see you make it sound easy so i, I just love it well thanks I think it's awesome. yeah i mean you you are too and, and it's funny because you said i mean it's so ridiculous to say this seriously but you were saying at the top like it's you know it's harder than it seems and i'm like and part of me is like no it's not like it's it's not easy i mean i don't want you know i'm not going to sit here and say this it's easy to come up with storytelling right but when you see some of the things that like especially lucas used to come up with but certainly in the new prequels too it's like come on or the new sequels it's like come on man it's not it's hard to massage it. It's hard to like write a script and all of that, but it's not yeah. that hard to come up with a better idea. I just, I do not believe that. And, yeah. Um, no, I think you're right. I think I, yeah. I hear what you're saying about that. It's hard to consider all the pieces because every sure. time you present, every time you define a new part of it, two more parts present themselves and you're like, okay, how am I going to fit in these pieces? So, to, but you know, but broad strokes, like your, your thing is, is, it's kicking on all cylinders for me. I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, there, there's a lot of bold things that you're doing there, but I think that's what Star Wars needs. You need to ground it in the Star Wars framework, whatever that is. Again, it's hard to articulate. It's sort of a hard thing to, um, it's an elusive thing to put your finger on, but you did that. And then you introduced all these elements that all these creative things that haven't, you know, you Don Draper did a little bit. It's like, you know, you, you thought outside the box and you were like, you know, you did some stuff that hasn't been done in Star Wars before, but it still works on that level. I think that's the that's the litmus test for Star Wars. That's the barometer and the measuring stick. So I love it, dude. So I'm going to introduce you to the, the new characters in my story. And then I'd, maybe a brief tail end explanation of what, you know, how this all works. But I know you guys are getting everything. So when we, we meet Luke, he's doing the... He's training this new generation, this dozen Jedi that he's taken under his wing. He's already found them. He's already, you know, he's already doing this informal training with them. Han and Leia are off doing their thing. Lando's doing his thing. We already have the backstory of what, you know, what Vader, the wheels that Vader set into motion many years ago and what that's going to mean. So of these 12 students of Luke, Jin, of course, is his niece. Now, Luke's niece and an extremely precocious force wielder. 
Jin is a master of force teleportation, with a favorite trick of hers being teleporting during a fight, then reappearing from above her opponent's head and striking downward with her saber as she descends. So she mm-hmm. could, we saw a little bit of force teleportation. We saw like early on Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon do that thing where they kind of like quick, fast move like off, move off yeah. screen, right? But she could do it on command. She could teleport all over the place during battle, which we haven't seen before. And she could teleport up. So if she wants to teleport 20 feet up, she would probably die, but she could do that. So Jin can also fight proficiently by levitating her lightsaber, not needing to physically hold her weapon, which frees her hands for other force wielding. So she could basically command her lightsaber in the air if she needs to. She doesn't do it for an entire fight usually. So she could use both hands for other things, which is interesting. But she only fights with one lightsaber. Jin inherits Luke's black robes and his green lightsaber from her uncle. The robes are way too large for her. Again, remember, she's 12. But she wears them proudly. Her quick movements make her look like a black-robed ghost, with her robe trailing behind her, creating a mesmerizing effect as she moves. Because her robes are way too big. The hood's way too big. It shrouds her face. But she has to wear her uncle's thing. She's very proud of being Luke's niece. So, and fights, of course, with his lightsaber, which he kind of bequeaths upon her. Luke doesn't have, Luke just doesn't have a new lightsaber. He fights with, by other means now, but he doesn't, I'll save that for the second chapter, but he no longer uses a lightsaber. It's not like he got a new kyber crystal and a new saber. He just gave his daughter, he bequeathed his lightsaber to his niece, rather, and that's who owns it. Then another character that I thought would be interesting is the character, I'm calling him Gray for now, but 13 years old. Another Jedi trainee and Jin's best friend, a powerful force wielder and a promising Jedi. Though he chooses the light side, Gray is obsessed with the Sith and the dark side hmm. of the Force, emulating them in style of dress and fighting style. Oh, I like that's very interesting. So even though he's good, he's obsessed with he's pretty much obsessed with the aesthetic. So Gray complains that the dark acolytes of the Force get to look better, cooler. <laughs> And fight with better weapons, so why can't they have a little fun too? That's his whole out. That's his kid's I love outlook. That. I love that. So Gray looks similar to Darth Maul with the aggressive face paint and horns, which are actually artificial implants in Gray's case. He emulates Darth Maul. I don't know if we're, he's going to say it initially, but that's who he wants to look like. But he's good. But he just wants to look cool. <laughs> so he has that whole thing. So Gray fights with a lightsaber in each hand. He fights with two sabers, sort of like Ahsoka does. But his sabers, I thought it would be cool if his sabers both contain very rare crystals that change, they actually change color, causing his weapon to flash and pulsate during a battle. So they, they're not one color. They, they sort of flash the entire time from green to purple to red or whatever. They just, they just strobe. And that's extremely distracting to an adversary, so he uses it to his advantage. Gray is good at his core, so Luke accepts his pupil, his pupil's fascination with the Sith, which seems kind of on the surface. Yeah. Still, he hopes it's a passing phase. I love that. <laughs> I I do love that because Luke is especially caught would be very cautious of that. Probably. Yeah, he would be like, "What is this guy doing?" But because it seems like it's a complete teen angst, sort of just obsessed with the visual and the aesthetic side of things, and because something I didn't mention yet, because Gray is extremely protective of Jin acting as her like official bodyguard, unofficial bodyguard, that he sees his love for, you know, his niece. So Luke sort of accepts it and sort of, you know, laughs it off, but sort of looks at it like, all right, I got to keep one eye, extra eye on this guy, but 
I thought that would make for an interesting character where it's like, cause it's kind of, it's kind of true. Like it always seems like the light side users get the short end of the cool stick. We talked about that with Cobra, right? Like with yes. G.I. Joe, it's like, they're like way cooler. Like you would much rather be in Cobra, you know? I, cause I always, when I see these, like these Twitter accounts being like, would you rather be, you know, Hawk or Duke or whatever? I'm like, I want to be fucking, you know, Firefly yes. or something or Destro. Somebody I don't cool. want to be fucking Hawk. You know, <laughs> it's a perfect example. Look yeah. at Firefly. Exactly. I mean, look at Firefly and Shipwreck. You're right. It's like, who would you rather? It's like a sailor. There's nothing. He's just a sailor. <laughs> it's not cool. That's not, That's cool. not cool. No at all. offense to sailors, but. I love it. I, lo- I love I love this idea. I mean, you touch on so many interesting ideas, including, because I, I, I love the whole thing about the Emperor almost being a f- being fearful of Vader having too much downtime and so giving him this distraction. And then I love and kind of being concerned with that, which is interesting. And then I love this idea of um, of the the different weapons. And do, do these two, I mean, they're young, but do they have like a, a nascent romantic connection? You know, I, I don't, you know, I didn't think that out. There is a romantic connection with other characters that I'm thinking of. But with these two, I think I would like to keep it platonic only because. That's cool. You know, it always seems like, and I'm a victim of that too. You know, I certainly fall into that trap too. It's like you immediately think, I just, I just think it's a humanistic thing. You, you initially think like, okay, that's gonna, that's gonna sort of evolve and bloom into a romance. You know, but what if it was just platonic? And what if this guy, you know, did have some sort of dark inclinations, like you're, like you're Jason and Jaina. You know, where it's like, what if this guy did have this dark inclination, but he could just keep it at bay as a fascination and still hold on to his inherent goodness or his justice or whatever, wanting to fight against the philosophies of that, but thinking it looks cool. You know, it seems like what a kid would do, you know, so why not sort of, and you know, I'm very in touch and empathetic with, I think teenagers and kids and being a young person still probably not having grown up myself. So just incorporating a little bit, you know, a little bit of that. And the last, even though there's 12, the only ones I really thought through, where these nine-year-old triplets that Luke also oh, trains, that. that you know, they're I I'm calling them, you know, for now placeholder names: Triss, Tress, and Tross, which are these nine-year-old triplets. I'm not sure. I thought about making them Twilex, but then you think of oh, Ahsoka, like, and maybe mm. that's maybe that's a bridge too far with. But there's definitely got I definitely got to think through the different breeds. You know, they're Bib Fortuna's kids. kids. <laughs> that would be amazing. You got to inco- you got to tie every character to another character. So why mm-hmm. not? You know, or maybe they're Rodians. Who knows? That's exactly what I was thinking. Rodian. That yeah. that might be cool. You but know, there is a Rodian. Like we kind of see them in the prequels too. Yeah, it would be cool to like to as little kids we see Rodians. It would be cool to see. Yeah, you're right. Like it would be cool. Like Bosks or you know whatever you know so whatever that that would be cool too. And yeah. also that would be another cool thing. This is a I'm completely going aside here, but like that's another thing I thought of. Like, can we see Bosk, Dengar? Zuckus, Suckass, Four yeah. Lube, IG88. IG-88. If they're yeah. using bounty hunters, you know what I mean? Then why can't we see those characters pop up here and there, you know? But for Triss, Tress, and Tross, their thing, sort of the through line with these characters that I think would make them fascinating is their brilliance for fighting is for fighting as one because they have a really powerful telekinetic bond and they know what each other is going to do. They're identical twins. So therefore, they could fight as a unit knowing what each other is capable of knowing each, you know, a couple of steps ahead of what each other is going to do. And just think about the challenge that would present for an opponent, you know, a really formidable challenge. And because the girls are very difficult to tell apart, they often switch lightsabers. They have different lightsaber skulls, but they'll often switch 
in order to throw off their foes even more because they all have different talents. So even though they could fight as a unit, they'll switch lightsabers to be a little more, you know, to be a little more problematic for their enemies. And it makes fighting them sort of difficult. So Luke has some promising young, you know, disciples under his wing, you know, going into this, which is kind of, which I think would be kind of cool. So Kyle, if you don't mind, I guess after that, I haven't really explained Geist yet. Now there's going to be a big reveal with this character in the last chapter of the story, which we're two away from now. So I don't want to say too much, but where I was going with the Geist character was first having a proper pupil for Vader, but also having an aesthetic almost lookalike for Vader. I mean, it's basically looks younger. You know, this character is probably going to be a young teenager when we first meet them. Wears a Vader-like outfit, always has the Vader mask on. We never see their face. Fights with red li- two red lightsabers. So th- think of Vader times two. And just think about, for me, I was channeling like, think about a younger version of Vader. Maybe Anakin turning into Vader territory where it's a much more agile, much more aggressive, much more capable Vader. He doesn't fight like a staid samurai. Fights more like Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles. You know, very sure. dynamic. Very aggressive, very speedy, that that type of thing. So, and that was Vader's intent with Geist was to create somebody more powerful. And in other words, it wasn't the rule of two where it seems like the master is always afraid of what the pupil is going to be capable of, or you know, you teach him ninety percent of your tricks, but not that extra ten percent because you don't want to be overcome by the pupil. The whole thrust with it with the Geist character was that Vader wanted somebody that was better than him, and that. You know, Geist was going to be in charge of training these other six disciples. There were many more disciples, but they kind of fell away because they weren't powerful enough. So it came down to Geist and these other six. And another thing for Mika was the Knights of Ren, which is one of the great missed opportunities in the actual sequel film. So what if we had a Knights of Ren in the Tempest, where, but characters that we actually get to know? And what I thought would be really cool and a little bit outside the box for Star Wars not to be too, not to try to stray too much in the other direction and be overly creative with this but i thought it would be cool is if you have this geist character who's the head of this faction this tempest faction this clandestine thing that nobody knows about she's sort of for all intents and purposes has a very vader like aesthetic she looks exactly like vader more capable though and then you have these other acolytes these this other tempest who all none of them wear masks there's nothing fancy there. They all wear white robes. Mm. You see their faces. And think about like Jet Li in your favorite martial arts, more modern martial arts movie. Geese, all white. You see their face. Elegant, very restrained. Don't have to expend a lot of energy. Super, super talented. Fight like you and I sort of imagined Yoda should fight. Like barely having to lift a finger. Like everything they do... Every move they do has meaning. You know, think of a Jet Li where it's like never so good, so fluid, so talented at what you do. Yeah, where he like just moves, but the guy like ends up, he ends up kicking and flipping the dude over (laughs) and it really happened, but he he looks like he just moved over or something, you know, like Like so far beyond (laughs) what their foes are capable of that where it's like Luke's team, you have all this cool dynamic stuff going on and there is talent involved. This is a different thing. This is a different sort of thing that we haven't seen, I don't think, from the Sith yet, where it's like, it looks like the opposite of aggression, but there's a deep malevolence underneath it. 
You know what I mean? That's just a, and that, I think that makes it almost scary. It's like, we talk about Michael Myers comes up a lot, but it's like Michael Myers where it's just like, he doesn't, he just walks after his prey. He takes his time. He never seems to be worried about accomplishing what he's got to accomplish. He always seems like he knows he's going to do it, you know? And that, that's what I'm thinking about with these characters where they're like the way they would sort of, um, you know, draw fright through that. It's like, at first you think like, what? these guys are weird. Like they don't even look like they're going to do anything. And then like you, you find that they're so capable that they don't really need to do anything extra, you know, that they're just, so that's what I was thinking about with that. And the whole, I love that. The wait, whole wait, intent. Real quick, quick question. Quick yeah, question yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Are they all human? I don't know. I, there's a, there's a certain aesthetic that I think is cool with having them all human, especially if they're all unmasked, especially if they all look very placid, that they don't necessarily look like Darth Maul, angry or evil that they look like you know very serene but and there's that. something with the human face that i think would sort of encourage that that would carry yeah, because that we out. can't we don't know how to read the other faces right it's like the rodians <laughs> have like no you know they just have big dark fish eyes it's like what how are you gonna do? but it right, might it's like be... the hanar and mass effect where it's like you know <laughs> right exactly or That's whatever that you know example. Un, unhappy you know, whatever. <laughs> that's a great example where it's like so maybe human humanoid creatures, not not all human, but maybe Twi'leks and different things that. that would be more, you know, that would that would sort of lend that emotional resonance. So, so you're setting up, are you setting up a fight? But uh, I maybe the third movie between the Tempest and the and Luke's pupils, presumably. That, or that's like that? going to be in, that that conflict's going to be inevitable. So basically, what happens is what I really want to do with this film is, and. You know, Vader's intention with this was, of course, I think I explained this clear enough, but that this entire faction, if you coupled this when it was initially, he initially, you know, conceptualized it after the, you know, episode four would more than would have more than doubled the Empire's ranks just in terms of soldiers, just in terms of tech and all that kind of stuff. But what he intended it was it could operate as an addition to but he really intended it as operating as a separate from fighting on the same side, but something that could be interesting, like an alliance, their own alliance, their own, their own alliance that could operate in tandem or separately. And the whole thrust of it too, was also that he would command this army and the Sith would control it. So he would have these set, you know, Geist and these seven Sith would be, in charge of a separate section of this entity and in, in place of officers in place of military officers, the Sith would actually be controlling it. Not just one Sith, not just two Sith. The Sith would be in control of this entire, this entire fleet essentially, which is like a, a glorified fleet. It's like a fleet many times over, but they call it a fleet. It's a massive fleet. Like a, flo- like a flotilla. Right. Exactly. Some, yeah. Like that's something like exactly, that, yeah. that's a, that's a perfect way to describe the it. The Quarian flotilla, another Mass Effect reference. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And an overwhelming, you know, an overwhelming force that could be called upon in a moment's notice and, you know, decimate any threat without question. And he wanted to, another thing with Vader was he wanted to not only keep it away from being controlled by military officers and infighting, which is ironically something that the Alliance and the Republic is starting to get plagued by at the same time, was that he was going to hearken back, and this is what we talked about earlier in the show, he was going to hearken back to the clone period and basically staff this thing and man this thing with robotic troops now these robotic troops have supremely advanced ai 
You know, they're incorruptible. So they're not the battle droids or whatever. They're not the battle droids. They're not the right. Roger Roger. You know, right. think about a battle droid that was really, really frightening. That was incorruptible, not able to switch sides, unsympathetic, you know, completely well, Remember we were remorse. asking, like, why why aren't all the battle droids just the officer battle droids? You know? <laughs> Remember we were asking that? So you kind of deal with that problem, which is nice. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. So this is an answer to that. And, you know, that, that the whole thing is that there could be no infighting. You know, it was it was the Sith and these robots and that's it. And then, you know, Vader was also developing this thing, which I thought would be really, really cool and just thinking through the tech. And how do we carry over the TIE fighter and make something cool that he was developing something called the TIE Maelstrom, which is like picture. Well, it's on my shirt. The Vader's TIE fighter is a good example. Picture this spherical, spherical cockpit in the middle. But flip the TIE fighter vertically, and then on top and on bottom, you would have another ball. So like a snowman. But the top and bottom spheres are giant. They look like giant Gatling guns. And basically what they are is they're giant lasers, many times the power and many times the scope and size of a traditional TIE fighter laser. So wide. Think about a wide laser. So it would be really difficult to miss with these things. So the tech is also being developed on the side of this thing. So it's like a tie bomber that flies like a like exactly a, like a B wing almost, almost like right? a like, B wing, but right. yeah, it would have the the panels on the top and the bottom. So just flip this tie fight. And I like the bowed, you know, sort of the the T panel. So maybe that's, that's yeah. And the, inter- the interceptor had that too, which was dope. Yeah, I yeah. And I wanted to call in the interceptor and just say like the tie interceptor, if that was like the most powerful iteration fastest most heavily armed version of a tie fighter then this would be like seven times that each one and that they were creating these on mass but the thing is there was it was never employed darth vader still had his redemption he died in his son's arms but here's the thing and here's something that i'm an idea i'm really glued to that i find deeply moving actually is that what if darth vader he had his redemption arc it was a tr- he, it was true blue he turned sides. Unfortunately, it was too late. He died in his son's arms. But here's the kicker. As he's dying in Luke's arms, and as they're having this, this moment where they could rejoice for a minute be, you know, in the, in the throes of all this tragedy, here's the thing. Vader knows the wheels he set in motion are unstoppable. His son is fucked because of what mm-hmm. he, uh, because of the wheels he put in place that are completely, it's completely unstoppable now. It's done. So... He knows that this thing that was set in place that was never called upon is going to come to basically, it's going to come for his son and his allies and his son's allies. It's going to happen. So what if he had to go to his deathbed knowing that even though, you know, with deep regret that he was sorry and every, all the pain he wrought, all the death and destruction he wrought over the years was going to be compounded only by, you know, the worst death and destruction to come of something that he, the brainchild that he created that he could now not stop. Yeah, because he he can't no longer. I mean, if you were alive, blame the emperor or something like exactly. that. Exactly, it's it's really his own. It's thing. his thing. It's it was his brainchild, and it was, it came as, as the result of his rage. And I think a rage and anger is going to be a big theme, not just with Vader and Geist, but with the Jin character and what happened. So basically, you, I want the first maybe three quarters or seventy percent of this movie to be upbeat, reintroduce. It's going to be flashbacks. You're going to see what Vader did. That's got to be a big storytelling component of what this these wheels that he put into motion many years ago and this plan that would, you know, in his anger, 
in his deep anger would prevent this from ever happening again and double down on the empire ever failing again. And maybe the, the emperor once, you know, get, again, giving his leave, giving his consent, but maybe getting, once he got wind of what it really would be, maybe the emperor was a little threatened by it, which he ne- is a reason why he forbid Vader to employ it. And, you know, Vader's, Vader's regret and his guilt, but also the fact that you have this unstoppable thing coming. You think this is such a time of growth and prosperity and happiness and joy for the rebellion, for the alliance, for our heroes, for the training of this new group that looks like if anything goes wrong, this new group is certainly savvy. I mean, look at these what these kids are capable of, these young kids that are going to grow up to be the next great protectors of the universe and everything for the first 70 or 75% of the film, we could see the Vader flashbacks. We could see the Luke flashbacks at Dagobah, but then we just see Luke training these guys. We see Han and, and Lando together again. We see Leia doing her thing. It's all upbeat. And then what happens is they find this thing and I'm not going to go into what it is yet because this is going to be what chapter two is going to be, but they find this enormous entity, let's say that is off the charts just in terms of scale. They know it's unnatural. Maybe it's a scouting mission. Maybe, you know, Owen and Han and Chewie and Lando are out and they find this thing. And they're like, it's too big. It's off the radar. Huge, first of all. They have no idea what it is, but they know it's unnatural. And this is a a part of Vader's plan that I'm not going to explain yet. And this was one of my biggest red flags for me was, do we create another super weapon and if so, how can we really set this thing apart from what's come before? And that's essentially what this thing is. But it's something like we've never talked about in Star Wars before. And there'll be a great reveal of what it is and what it's capable of. And the fact that like it just spells doom for everything. There's just there's essentially going to be no way to beat this thing. And they come across it. And what transpires is Geist murdering the Owen character. And the basically the way that sort of sets off an entire new conflict behind you know behind this evil faction and you know who was waiting for their revenge and it kind of fell in their lap and not really knowing how to maneuver that's why it, it took 15 years that it was like being a little bit rudderless without vader and trying to figure out how do we reveal ourselves you know we're dealing with a powerful entity in the alliance now it's different than it was how do we do it? What do we do? Geist is still is still really young. So they were kind of biding their time, but the vengeance sort of fell into their lap by the faction, you know, this group of the rebellion finding them be- before it was time. And the fact that Owen was murdered and what it does to Jin, you know, the the emotions that it sets off in this young girl character and the fact that her and her contingent are so strong that nobody could stop them from doing what they want to do. Their hearts are in the right place. They want vengeance because their brother, you know, her brother was murdered and who did this. And it just sparks off an entire new conflict now. And something with young kid characters and they explore this a little bit with the actual sequel films, but breaking from what Luke is advising and going out and doing what they have to do. So in essence, creating a three pronged war. It's also another echo of the way Luke treated Yoda. Yes, exactly. 
you know, doing, you know, sort of jumping off before it was time, half cocked, whatever, however you want to define it. And how at the end of this film, it's going to go from really upbeat to like really dire. And the way Jin is, you know, Luke is concerned that if Jin goes and, and seeks anger, not only is she, not my, you know, this is a con- complete mysterious thing that they're fighting. Luke has no idea. Luke and nobody else has no idea what this is. Not only might she be ended, but the rage may turn her and Luke having to deal with that all over again, you know, and seeing what happened to his father and all that kind of stuff. And Jin and a certain contingent of Luke's trainees going off and starting their, you know, starting their own thing in in the name of vengeance, you know, which is, you could say it's sympathetic, it's rightful, but Luke and a certain part of his trainees staying behind and not being a part of that and the perceived betrayals on both sides and all that kind of I stuff like that. and it's just the way that whole thing kicks into the the second chapter That's it's, good shit. and and the cliffhangers of what, what that what this super weapon is going to be and exactly what this tempest you know faction is capable of and all that kind of stuff that makes I sense it. i mean i love it i mean I'm, I'm smitten with this i think it's awesome i think this oh i'm so what glad you're, dude what you're writing sounds like more of the proper sequels. I'm almost writing in, in really looking at it now and listening to your ideas. I'm almost writing like a spinoff, like one of the spinoff, like rogue one type movies, because I've walked away from so much of the established, like no lights, like no lightsaber in this one. though obviously be in the other. I love that. But also the, I I mean, I'm missing some motions here. I'm looking at my piece now and looking at some of my notes that I wrote down, like got it. I don't have any space battle. I feel like you probably need that. There's no, culmination or even murder in this move in this movie so i feel like i am in my third act missing the culminating piece that segues into the second film but i knew that i just wanted the action to be kinetic and move into you know as, as they often do move into the sequel in a way that i don't know that a new hope could really do because it wasn't obvious to lucas at the time that he was going to get a second shot so it had him remain this self-contained movie but sure. we know Star Wars. I mean, we're, we're going to get three shots, right? So we don't really need to do anything in this movie per se, other than set up everything so the second movie can be this really crazy thing where everyone's in motion, and then the third one can be the the culminating effect of that. Because when you really think about Episode Four, it's like, yeah, the Death Star and all of that, but you almost kind of wish that there could have been a way where there was only one Death Star and that it was at the end of Jedi, and that there was something else, and maybe they could have connected those two movies in a way that didn't make them redundant where we're like we said almost um avoiding this idea of a super weapon i I really wanted to do that because i was like well but but my mind was like what else is there and so i'm trying to i'm in mind i'm trying to lean on the religion but also the aesthetic like of a a corporation i'm a big fan of the handmaid's tale which i I know people know and I, i love that show and the the commanders as they're called the 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 turncoats in that like the religious people in that the officers wear suits, but they have just little stars on their shoulders, yeah. like little icon stars. And I, that's what I was thinking about with all these different people. Like, how can I with with um, the like with Hux and uh, Phasma, for instance, I'm like, I just picture them wearing suits or wearing, you know, she's wearing a blouse and maybe a little skirt or something. I want her to be sexualized for some reason, because I think that that's another thing that's not in any Star Wars movie, really, that I think would be interesting. But but also, like, there's just little things similar to the Empire where they had the their little color 
you know, orange and red things, but something even more simple than that, where like they're all wearing different suits, they're wearing their own colors, but they have something on them that indicates their rank. And uh, so to kind of fuse the corporation with the military and this idea of that's another thing. And I know that Kojima is really into that and others like the idea of private militaries and mercenaries and the way that that's what Metal Gear is all about, basically. So it's it's interesting to be able to explore that as well. Like, what does a private military in this world look like? What does crime look like? What does religion and religious furor look like? And this idea that this thing, this thing that kept balance in quotes in their universe or in their galaxy, the force, and it's this very mystified and rarefied thing. And this guy comes along and says, no, it's not. And here's how you use it. And they're lying to you. And this almost reverse, what's, what's basically going to be, I mean, in my movie, a, a reverse rebellion where, where the, yeah. it's kind of similar to you, where it's like the, the powers that be used to be the rebellion. They're now fighting off this other group that happens to be this religious, this like com- cr- crazy religious group that's trying to like, in their minds, liberate the galaxy from this idea that the force isn't for everyone. And, and, and a big inspiration for that is, of course, Protestantism. Which was the whole idea, really, that like you didn't need priests to read Latin, and you you could read a. It was a big deal in the fourteen or fifteen hundreds to read a Bible in English. I mean, that was that was not something you were allowed to do as a Catholic, you know. So yeah, which is yeah. So I'm trying to see like like how can that be taken advantage of in this galaxy where it's almost like this this bottom up movement, this French Revolution type movement, uh, or this Bolshevik like movement that's around religion you know and this idea that we can all access the force and that's why i have such a strong vision for that last scene that last few minutes with karen and the arena or whatever where everyone is like using the force and like what's going on here and are they really using the force and how are they manipulating well i guess you'll find out in act two but the thing is is that i didn't i didn't name it and maybe i'll have to i i, I like your name i don't know what to name mine and i'll, I'll come it's up with tricky. a name that's yeah really i'll come up tricky. with one you know, for maybe for the next next one, I'll have I'll go back and and name it. Now, Kyle, let me ask you: Is it getting yeah. too dark in here for you? Should I switch the light on? It is getting dark, but we're almost done. Okay. So I don't know that you really have to change anything. You got the glow of your got the glow. screen. The glow. Yeah. So don't worry about it. We're still figure we're still figuring this all out because Big and I both have offices. Well, it's worth noting we both have offices that have natural light and then artificial light, so it's hard to segue. We we record in the afternoon, so. Yes. Um, so the light's changing. So we'll, we'll be better about that in the future. But I don't really have, for this one, I don't really have anything else. I mean, I'm excited to go into the second act just because I feel like that's where we can really flesh this out and have some con- like real conflict. Definitely. Which mine is going to uh, certainly have that. But I'm, I'm glad of where I cut it off. I liked, I li- again, I like cutting it off with those three prongs. The twins, Chewie and Poe in the turncoat, and then Karen, the prophet. The religious problem. I'm compelled. This, this corporation that supports him, ostensibly supports him. Yeah, I think it's awesome, dude. I really do. I think it's really compelling, and you know, again, really co- sort of defines itself in my head. I visualize all the elements, and I love the characters. You know, the characters are so important. It's such an important, you know, to anchor the story to the characters, and I think that's what we talk about with a character like Ray. It just wasn't a compelling character. She just wasn't no. fleshed out enough. She, you couldn't. There was a, a through line to, you know, empathize with her or identify with her. There was just, she was, so, she was somewhat vacant of a character, I think, you know, and I don't think it's down to Daisy Ridley's acting or anything like that. I think it's just down to the fact that they tried to create this 
thing, this all-powerful thing, without giving her like enough of a personality or yeah, desires I, I totally, or whatever, you know? I totally agree. I think some of it comes down to her acting because I do think she's a little flat. Do but you? I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm not familiar enough with her body of work, but I just feel like watching her, I'm like, you couldn't have found anyone else for this role that would have been like a little more... Hear that. I almost wanted someone a little more Lukish, you know? Yeah. Where it's like a little more starry-eyed and a little more bewildered. And maybe that's well said. Too, asking too much familiarity and they tried something different and I appreciate that. But you can also tell that it, it was it wasn't all supposed to be on her. Right. And I feel like they by the end it was all on her and it would have it really would have been wiser for them to split that up in yeah. a very Han and Luke way between Poe and I'm sorry, between um well Poe too. Poe you, too. You, you want to bring Han, Leia and Luke in, then you, you really have a, a Poe you know, you have, a, a, I guess, some sort of nascent relationship with Ray and Poe and all this other stuff. So I don't know. I just feel like they didn't balance it well enough. And I hear that it sucks. And, and and Finn was just so interesting. So it's worth noting in my movie, like Finn, black guy, same, same act. You could say same actor, all of that. Like I envision the shared elements the same. Okay. And then I envision these other characters as some as as someone different. So. Yeah, I got, I got to, I got to massage it a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I, I'm curious. I've never written fan fiction either. In fact, I've, mm. I'm pretty opposed to fan fiction, not its existence, but just doing it. I'm like, it's a, and I know Stephen King and others have talked about this where it's like, well, you're, what are you doing? Like, why don't you write your own stories? Like, what is it? You're talented enough right. per se to write something. So why don't you make your own story? Up? Right, right. I'm not a huge fan of it. No offense to people that are. So this was really my first experience in any real way writing what is essentially fan fiction yeah. we come up with these ideas all the time but i actually wrote it down and so that i gotta say this was my first experience doing that and it's it was interesting how was it for you yeah me too i mean i don't really realize i mean besides like working at sesame street and writing for you know writing stuff for oscar or elmo right but that's authorized like you're authorized like exactly. that's real oscar you know right. that's real you know it's it's different here good like, point. This isn't, that's a yeah. good point that's a good distinction for sure yeah yeah like you're first endorsed time. to you're writing right, exactly. real thing, that's you know? my job yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah, no, you. It, it is, it's, I find it, yeah, I don't think I would be naturally drawn to it like you. I think I would be naturally drawn to trying to create my own things, but it was a, it was a kind of a fun challenge, especially with Star Wars, especially since the inception for a lot of us, not for all of us, but since, you know, the Phantom Menace came out where we were just, you know, perpetually let down by Star Wars films and trying to take on the you know, take on the exercise for, and the challenge for ourselves. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's, again, it's, it's easy to think of the broad strokes, working your way in and filling in all the details could be a little more difficult, you know, accounting, trying to account for everything, trying to not let anything slip through the cracks. That's, that's a little tougher, but, um, you know, it was also fun for me in my story, realizing that I was being a little bit of an apologist for the Empire, because if you think about Star Wars, it was like, I love the imagery of the second Death Star, you know, that incomplete larger Death Star and that the fact that it's functional, even though it's still being constructed and all that. But it's a little kind of cockamamie for the Empire to have the first Death Star destroyed and then do the same thing over again. So to have Vader in there and say, like, look, we're going to do we're going to do something else as well. Is really being an apologist for the Empire as a whole. So, yeah, realizing, like their, their poor you know, strategy and their bravado. Yeah, it's. <laughs> You know, it's, it's like, I mean, it's in hindsight, it's completely insane. I mean, it's it, insane. like you said, the, the best part of the second Death Star is looking at the second Death Star. Because exactly. when, you really, when you really think about it, it's like, yeah, it's why would you do this again? <laughs> you know, but, and, and, but I mean, not much time passes between the first Death Star and the second one. So no. they could they could say like, well, we we had a we had another one. 
it's very much like Contact, the the Carl Sagan book for anyone that's read it or the movie if you've seen it, where they yeah. the first device that sends them in the space gets destroyed, and then in secret, a second one is being built this whole the whole time. It reminds me a little bit of that, but it it is that was after Star Wars, but it is a little. It is a little dumb. It's still, it's crazy. And then, you know, they do it again, or the First Order does it again with yeah. Star that Killer Base. That was to me. I was like, come on, man. But this time, you know? it's powered by the sun. It's like, yeah, but so what? Like, it doesn't matter. It's still a giant laser. And, you know, with Return of the Jedi's second Death Star 2, it's the same thing. Like, you know, they find a, they exploit a weakness. They go destroy that weakness. It's not a, it's not a thermal exhaust port. An event this time, it's like some capacitor that you have to fly into the, you know, but it's like, you know, so the fact that Vader... You know, this is really a boost for Vader, my story, because it's like, all right, Vader realized that this might not be enough and maybe we need to have a plan B in place. So that was, you know, that was a lot of fun too. But I realize a lot of it has to do with, you know, the tragedy of Vader, which I think is really, I guess, I don't know, there's probably, probably part of me that we never saw enough of it because Vader is redeemed, right? He goes through his whole redemption and then he dies and we get it for like three minutes. But we saw Vader leading up to that over three films. So it's like, I want a little more. It's so tragic, you know, how it ends and they it's in that hangar. Everything's collapsing and Luke's cradling him in his arms. And, you know, Vader's sitting there looking like Humpty Dumpty. And yeah, he's no, just yeah. like, I'm so sorry. You know, this sucks. But then the compounded it's even tragic. further by, you know, yeah. this whole other thing and this whole other, you know, sort of this, this other death and destruction that's eventually going to be wrought as a result of, you know, his... His anger, you know, that's really what it is. It's all down to Vader's anger. The whole thing, if you, if in my story is that, you know, he got pissed off when the first Death Star was destroyed and was like, never again is this going to happen. And then just went off, you know, went off the reservation and created this death machine, basically. And it's, it's interesting too. I mean, he's working on behalf of Tarkin and the Emperor in this capacity, but kind of puts even Rogue One into some, um, or the beginning of A New Hope into some context in your story, because it's like, why is he so passionate about making sure this doesn't get into the wrong hands it's it, it he he understood the the ramifications before the death great star was even point. destroyed so great point it's uh it's cool man i'm i'm really i, I like this exercise it was fun uh i'm i'm envisioning some of my characters and you know the huts and their man you know i i picture this man this opulent mansion and lots of i picture him having like you know a, a twi'lek major domo and all that kind of stuff and like a lot of the same car you know the uh the skiff guard type outfits and all that. I love, I, I want all of that, you know, and, and the dancing, the sexy dancing girls. And, and this is where I was like, maybe, maybe you see IG 88 or something here or something in the background, but that would be cool. Um, those echoes yeah. are important. Those echoes are really, those are key. You know, who knows, man, maybe John Favreau will watch this and he'll say, they'll do like a, what if series for Disney and we could do like an alternate sequel trilogy. They could put it in the legends thing. They don't have to call it. We'll, we'll call it the good people. sequel trilogy. <laughs> That's fair. I think that's uh, perfectly fair. Well, that was fun. I, I'm so glad that you came up with the idea, Dave, to split this up because I don't even know what we would have done. Yeah, I think it's um, good. Yeah, well, you came up with the brainchild, the brilliant brainchild of doing the crawl, which I think is a great way to encapsulate. And then, yeah, I said, you know what? I was writing so much. I was like, you know what? We could probably split this, especially because it's a fan topic. Supposedly, you guys want to see this. You may rethink it now, but. You know, we could draw this out into like three episodes one. and, you know, a little bit of cliffhangers in between. Yeah. So that'd be fun. I, I, think, th I, I think they're going to like this. So do you have any, uh, before we wrap it up, do you have any closing comments, anything left unsaid? No, not really. Just uh, we got a dad joke. Yeah, I, of course. I know that. But I, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't, uh, we, we've touched on everything that you wanted to kind I of think leave so. for your I think... film, Dawn of Ghosts. 
Dawn of Episode Seven, Dawn of Ghosts. So we have to come up with a. We have to come up with one for yours. I came up with some really bad ones. I came up with one for this actually that was already a Star Wars book, which I didn't read. I, you know, I, I checked again. I was apprehensive about that because you want to be true to your vision. You don't want to be sort of you don't want to be restricted by what's out there already just because it happens to be a coincidence, like with the Darth Geist thing. But I, I checked. And then I said, all right, I could do better than that anyway. And I came up with Dawn of Ghosts, which I think. And also, if you list out the initial, you know, the existing Star Wars movies and the titles, you have to make sure you're not too repetitive. You don't want to use Revenge again. You don't want to use, you know, you don't want to use Return again. You don't want to use Phantom again. Phantom is a tough one. Did you see that? There's a movie. I should send it to you. There's some sort of YouTube video or something where someone explains why all of the movie names are wrong, but assigns each of the names to a different one and it makes perfect sense oh that's like, interesting you know, so just the flips them around is this one and yeah return of the jedi is this one and all yeah it's pretty oh, i'm cool. gonna look for that i'm gonna write that yeah down. all right dig well um yeah I'm, I'm all set too so let's let's end it as we always do with a dad joke all right my friend we have a very special dad joke today Kyle. not only is it a star wars dad joke but it is from someone very important to us ms ali moriarty our sister yes she texted this to us just a few days ago right Yep, I think so. Yes, and I had another one ready to go, but I'm going to use it next week. We're going to do the proper Star Wars dad joke, which I had never heard before. Kyle, what is the internal temperature of a tauntaun? Well, I, I know the answer. Luke warm. <laughs> Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Allie. That's a good one. It's a good one. She's coming in. She's coming in hot. It's like uh, Tim Tebow hitting a home run the first time he walked up the bat in in his uh, a a Mets. It's just like that. Well, that was good. That was fun. That was a really fun conversation. Super I hope everyone fun. out there enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Dig, we'll, we'll revisit this in a couple weeks. We'll okay. do them. We'll scatter them um, in between our normal topics. So this will be resolved soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you listen on free feeds, leave us nice reviews on iTunes and all that. Please do support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. We can't do this without you and your support. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube as we're over there now, uh, leave us nice comments and let us know how we're doing, I guess. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. And subscribe. It's. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix. (laughs) For the audio listeners, I'm doing Joaquin Phoenix's thumb thumb thing from Gladiator. But maybe up, maybe down. But then. Yeah, I like because he does. He just like. (laughs) He's fucking awesome. I I love him so much. Did you see he's doing a thing with Ari Oster? Uh, No, I didn't see that. Yeah, he's doing a movie. Ari Oster's third movie is going to star Joaquin Phoenix. Cool, but it's not. He's not doing horror, right? So that's not for the. Third I think one. it is. Oh, it is. Oh, supposedly cool. well, it's a horror else. thing. Excellent, because I. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of a different filmmaker where they were like, we're gonna do something, something else. I, I, yeah, he needs to not do anything but no horror movies. He needs to stay in horror. Four you didn't see Midsummer yet, right? What's that? You didn't see Midsummer? No, I won't watch it. <laughs> it's too violent for me. It's I was so really, I was really haunted by Hereditary. I won't even let Helene watch it. It's an amazing movie with amazing performances. I mean, so good, but Hereditary really haunted me. I know they say Midsummer's not as scary, but I, I'm better off not seeing Midsummer. Yeah, I think it's. I personally think it is scarier. But oh, you do? Yeah, I think. Well, I I think it's scarier in ways that matter. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll you'll see. Well, maybe you won't. But uh, <laughs> we'll we'll do those at some point, or at least we'll do Hereditary and see how it goes. Definitely. Right, well, thanks, Dave, for your time. Appreciate you. Thank, Thank you, you all out there for your uh, love, kindness, and support of our show. We'll see you next time for more knockback. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA.
The show is conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Gregory Slavinsky, Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Zach Parsley, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Ben, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Jorge Palomino, Enrique Perez, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Talisman, David Waters, Joshua Martin, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Chris Buston, Betty Ann Moriarty, Tyler Hook, Colin Jewell, Daniel Johnson, Zach Bonham, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Jeff Mercado, Galja, of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Gavin Newland, Saul Balgazar, Raul Raul Melendez, Kevin Singh, Jackson Vernon, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Adam Barnes, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Antti Kinnanen, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Chris Buston, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Damon Weathers, Tom Cargill, Richter86, Hofeldian, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Blake Israel, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Isaac Wassman, Stephen Insler, Mubarak, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Ray Lagia, David Castanez, Donnie Nolan, Josh Yeager, Matthew Cooper, Toothless Gibbon, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joe Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Denise Usel, Colin Davenport, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton Kay, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershaw, Max Lazos, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixie, Holly Blakemore, Corey Wyatt, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, William O. Carroll, Jonathan Collins, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Greg Lada, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Matt Hazelbaker, Todd Paxton, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Greg Julefs, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Carper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.